Hey there, and welcome to a very special episode of Marvel by the Month, the podcast that takes you through the history of Marvel Comics one month at a time. My name is Brian Stratton. Mine is Rob Milne. And mine is Jamie Wenger. Now, normally, what we do here is talk about an entire month's worth of comics in an episode. Uh, but today we're focusing on one issue in particular, and that issue is Luke Cage, Hero for Hire number one, which hit the newsstands in April of 1972. Uh, when we were laying out the schedule for this season, uh, we knew it was going to run from about the middle of 1970 to the middle of 1972, uh, which is not uh, traditionally remembered <laughs> super fondly uh, as a particularly great era of Marvel Comics. Um, but there were a few things that we were looking forward to covering, um, like the debut of the Mon uh, Marvel Monster Comics, like Tomb of Dracula and Werewolf by Night, uh, the Kree Scroll War. Um, the anti-drug issues in Amazing Spider-Man that led to the Comics Code being reformed. Uh, and one of them was the debut of Luke Cage, uh, a super important character in, in Marvel lore, Marvel history, and, and even, you know, uh, modern Marvel. Um, we didn't want to just give Cage a 20-minute chunk of an episode. Uh, his debut is it's a big deal for a number of reasons. Um, so we wanted to set some time aside and really dig in on it. Um, you might also notice that this episode is slightly out of chronological order. Um, and that's because we had, uh, seriously a great guest lined up for it. Uh, they were unfortunately not able to join us ultimately. Uh, so we, we pushed the episode out a bit, um, and we found another also amazing guest, uh, who also had to bow out at the last minute due to an emergency. Oh. Um, so it's, you know, it's spooky season. This episode does feel a little cursed now. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be totally honest. Uh, I I don't think necessarily that the three of us are maybe the perfect folks to talk about the debut of Luke Cage. Uh, what? 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 You take that back. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a white guy from, from New York who's half Jewish. I feel like I'm the perfect. <laughs> who, who could be better? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, you know, hey, I, I grew up in... You know, I, I spent the first 20 years of my life in Vermont, uh, and then I wound up, you know, I've spent the last 15 or so years of my life uh, in Portland, Oregon. So I, I feel like I really understand the black experience pretty well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you especially. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. <laughs> I'm just going to not say anything. Uh, <laughs> that's a good policy. That's, you know, that's the best policy, and you know, maybe that's what we should have just decided to do, but... Um, you know, so we are, you know, we're early Marvel Comics experts, um, and we're all well-intentioned white guys, uh, but you know what the road to hell is paved with. Um, <laughs> and, and yes, Luke Cage is uh, a character who was also created by a handful of well-intentioned white guys, uh, but, you know, I'm sure there is a, a whole layer of how that character comes across that... Like, we just can't provide because uh, we can't perceive it. It is just not, you know, it's, it's not part of our lived experience. Anyway, because of the format of the show, uh, and, and frankly, because we have pushed this recording out as far as we possibly can, um, this is the day when we have to record an episode talking about the debut of Luke Cage. Like, it has to be done now so it can come out when it has to come out so that we can move on with everything else we do. Um 
So, you know, we're going to do our best. Uh, but if you think that it's not super great to have a Caucasian roundtable about Luke Cage, uh, yeah, dude, we know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the alternative is just to not talk about Luke Cage's debut. Um, and he's he's just way too important of a character to do that. And, you know, what? how we've uh, made ourselves feel better is we Luke Cage is going to be around for a while. So yeah. we're going to have some some expert analysis and people who have lived experience that can relate to this and talk to it in the future. But right now we need to introduce you all to Luke Cage. Yeah. Um, so Rob, now that I have set you up for total success, um, <laughs> why don't you uh, tell us about Marvel's diversity in oh. 1972? Oh boy. <laughs> this feels like a, just a weird HR day. Um, it's a trap. <laughs> okay. So how diverse is Marvel at this point in April, 1972? Uh, And we're not trying to shame the company here. If anything, Marvel was on the more progressive side of comics companies of the era when it came to featuring characters of color. We have Black Panther, the first black superhero, and the Falcon was the first black American or as it used to be called African-American superhero. But at this point, you can basically count the number of black Marvel characters on two hands. There are a few black supporting characters like Joe Robertson, Gabe Jones and Bill Foster. And a couple of villains, or at least antagonists, like Mabaku, the Prowler, and Firebrand. Whoops. Oh, Scratch that last so one. Yeah, not turns so out. Yeah. Oh. We've also seen brief scenes where black characters take on the roles of white Marvel heroes. Eddie Marsh was the first black man to wear the Iron Man armor. Hobie Brown wore the Spider-Man costume to help Peter Parker out of a secret identity jam. And the Falcon wore Captain America's uniform to escape from a police siege. That that all worked out pretty well for everyone, right? Like, yeah. The the Falcon went on to get his name in the title of the book. Eddie Marsh, I think he got a job, right? Tony Stark hired him to do something. Yeah, in the in the Firebrand issue, um, he winds up being uh, the guy who's like going to be Tony's liaison um, and and you know to help with uh, you know supporting the community that he was originally just going to build like a rec center in. And oh yeah, like, right, right. so long, y'all. Mm-hmm. And so. Where did Hobie end up? Do you, I don't, I don't Hobie's he's he's still prowling, still, around. still prowling. Yeah. Yep, prowling, and uh, you know, being the uncle to uh, Miles Morales in a in a way in a that version of the universe. Right, so, right. right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so outside of the Western books, there are really only a couple of Native American characters: Wyatt Wingfoot and Red Wolf. And there's really no Latinx or Hispanic characters to speak of. Uh, in the superhero books outside of a very occasional one-off, uh, you know, like villain for Daredevil or whoever. Occasionally people, you know, fight villains when they go to Costa Verde or somewhere. Right. You know? When they but, go right. to like generic Cuba stand in or yeah. whatever. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's a good number of female characters, but they're almost never presented as being on the same level as their male counterparts. And you can forget about any representation of diverse sexualities or gender identities at this point. So, again, we're not saying that this is a failing of the company or the creators. Marvel is very much of its time and maybe slightly ahead of the curve thanks to the younger creative staff. I'd say, like, decently ahead of the curve. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I think so. Like, you – and, and, you know, we've had listeners write in who are, you know, a little older than we are um, and who I think also maybe think that we're a lot younger than we are. <laughs> we're like, well, yeah. And they hear us say things like, you know, well, oh, boy, you know, this this hasn't aged well or, you know, uh, the it, it's and I think, you know, there's sometimes there's a perception that we're 
you know, we're calling Marvel out, but it's like, look, these are 50 year old comics. You know, it's like, we absolutely understand. It's like the world was a very different place. Um, and you know, a lot of what was popular in 1972 hasn't aged well. Like that's a universal condition. When we talk about stuff like that, I mean, we're talking about it because as a reader in 2022, it is impossible to read that and not have it jump out at you. And it's honestly a fascinating thing to talk about. It's like, you know, to kind of hold it up and be like, this used to be something that you could put in a book that you would sell to children. Right. Uh, you yeah, know, like right, that was acceptable. Right, right. And you know? something that was considered progressive. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and that's, that's also fascinating. And it's also... You know, part of our whatever <laughs> the job we've decided to do here uh, <laughs> to to help tell listeners who may or may not read comics uh, what this stuff is and how it holds up by today's standards. Um, and some of it does, you know, it's yeah, just yeah. not a, there's there's things that definitely do not. And that's again, it's the same in any medium of the time and any period of history. Yeah. And, you know, and it, there were a lot of different creators involved in this and and speaking of them it's almost exclusively white dudes of european descent um all the way down some of them are jewish and hey. there's some significant <laughs> age and class diversity in the bullpen um so you know we do have blue collar white collar yeah uh very old mm -hmm. you know people have been working since the 30s um with people who are just out of college and and, and people who are Jerry Conway. Who's <laughs> <laughs> uh, just out of diapers. He's yeah. doing <laughs> college as a writer for Marvel. Um, yep. And then, uh, but apart from notable exceptions like Marie Severin or Mimi Gold, they're all men. And we haven't really seen any creators of color in the Marvel credit boxes, but that changes in April of 1972. Yeah. Um, the uh, the creator who broke the color barrier uh, at Marvel Comics was William Henderson Graham, who went by Billy Graham. Um, <laughs> in uh, in letter columns, he was dubbed the irreverent one because of the famous revivalist preacher, uh, irreverent Billy Graham. Get it? Yep, that's wow. pretty good. That's a that pretty, is good, pretty good. <laughs> yep. Um, he was a a graduate of New York City's Music and Art High School. Um, he counted. Uh, L. Williamson, Frank Frazetta, Bern Hogarth, and George Tuska among his influences, uh, according to Dr. Jerry Bales' Who's Who of American Comic Books. Um, and uh, Graham got his start at Warren Publishing, where he illustrated the story Death Boat in Vampirilla No. 1. Um, Graham penciled and inked about a dozen stories across Warren's magazines. Um, he was quickly promoted to art director uh, by the publisher, James Warren. Um, uh, and according to Warren, uh, he said, I sensed Billy had the ability to handle it. Certain artists and writers are great, but they can't shift out of their specialty and do something else. Billy could. So I said, Billy, you are now art director, whether you like it or not. <laughs> so now you have to understand that all Billy wanted to do his whole life was just be Jack Kirby. I said, you'll be the black Jack Kirby, but not today. Today you are the art director of Warren Publishing. But he said, I can't art direct. And I said, I'll show you how. There's your office. You now have a full-time job, a paycheck every Friday. Do you accept? And he said, you're goddamn right. <laughs> and awesome. I, I taught him how to art direct during our slow period, and it only took a couple of issues, and he did pretty well, though I gave him a nervous breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that 
little bit at the end there is like, ah, yeah. oh, there's more to the story. It's like, he's good at art. Let's put him in charge of everybody else. Yeah. And yeah. yeah she also mentioned J- James Warren was a bit of a character. Um, yeah. I'm just about to crack into a biography of him um, called Empire of Monsters. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's a great title. <laughs> yeah. We'll, uh, I'll, I'll fill you in uh, on what I learn. But, uh, that's that's his version of the story. Um, uh, Graham uh, he left Warren to go to Marvel for the launch of Luke Cage Hero for Hire, and I like I got to imagine Archie Goodwood had something to do with that, right? Like, yeah, that tracks. He's Archie was still contributing stories to Warren occasionally. He had been editor there for you know uh, for a, a while uh, before he came to Marvel, um, and he returned uh, to Warren as editor for a brief time in 1974. So he still has very, very close ties there. Um, and it wouldn't, honestly, like, the more I think about it, it wouldn't shock me if, you know, as we're about to talk about, you know, Marvel's trying to jump on board the black exploitation movement that's starting to come up in cinema. Um, and, like, authenticity is a key part of that. And, like, I would not be shocked if... Stan or someone else was like, we got to have a black person involved in the production yeah, of this book. Or Archie said that. Or <laughs> Archie know? said yeah. that. Yes. Mm. I mean, someone must have raised that flag. And quite frankly, there just were not a lot of options at that point. It was, you know, a, 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 especially after the the industry collapsed in the late 50s, um, the few black artists who had been uh, working uh, were, they, most of them, if not all of them, found other things to do um because as the work dried up the old boy network activated and you know uh, uh that's that's the way that goes mm-hmm. um so you know th- th- there weren't a lot of black creators working uh, in mainstream comics um at this point so uh it wouldn't shock me if you know they really wanted to to um to get billy graham in because he would he would provide an authentic perspective you know um that's tough, though. I mean, he's got Kirby's dream of yeah. actually having a salary, yeah, having a paycheck, yeah, you know, at uh, Warren, yeah, and that's all Jack Kirby was looking for <laughs> the whole time. So to to walk away from that, it, I mean, it's awesome that he did because yeah. Luke Cage benefits for it. But yeah. man, that's a that's a big thing to make that step. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, I mean, it, it turns out to be a great decision. Uh, Graham either inks or pencils and inks every issue of Hero for Hire's 16-issue run. Um, he also winds up co-writing the book. Um, Steve Englehart, who wrote issues 5 through 16, said Graham helped me plot so that by the end it was pretty much a co-production. Um, and Graham is formally credited as the co-writer of issues 14 and 15. So, That's awesome. That is awesome. So he is the first not only the first black artist at marvel he winds up becoming the first black writer at marvel as well um after luke cage hero for hire becomes luke cage power man um, after the 16 issue run uh graham becomes the regular series artist on the first black panther series uh in jungle action written by don mcgregor um and that panther series it that's generally seen as the first like really definitive black panther series that's where mm. Um, like Killmonger shows up, you get a sense of the geography of Wakanda. Um, there's a lot oh, of, Oh, it's yeah. like, it's a canon, I mean, uh, like it tracks with everything else. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's wow. like where the, the character that you know now has much more, is much more fleshed out there. You yeah. know? Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. 
Yeah, yeah. So that's coming up. Not, I mean, not too far from now. Um, uh, and but other than like a couple of horror and suspense stories, uh, that's pretty much it for Billy Graham's 1970s Marvel career. Um, uh, it, it turns out he was something of a Renaissance man, um, and his life's work was really focused on exploring his heritage. Um, he wrote these meticulously researched uh, historical plays about black cultural and historical figures. Um, they were produced across the U.S. He won awards for his set designs. Um, and he was also uh, he was an actor. Um, he appeared in small roles in a number of films, including Mo Better Blues, New Jack City and The Preacher's Wife. Um, Preacher's Wife? Mm-hmm. Like with uh, uh, Whitney Houston, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I remember that movie. Um, New Jack City. Come on. What are you? I mean, obviously, <laughs> obviously New Jack, Jack City. <laughs> wanted to give the Preacher's Wife some love. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the problem. Um, yeah, yeah, that is indeed the problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Billy returned to comics uh, in the 1980s to illustrate Don McGregor's Saber, uh, which is published by Eclipse Comics. Um, and his last comics work was done for Marvel in 1985 when he co-penciled a Power Man and Iron Fist story written by Jim Owsley, uh, who would later write Black Panther as Christopher Priest. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Graham, uh, he died in 1997 at the age of 61. Um, uh, and despite his significant contributions to the formative comics portrayals of Luke Cage and the Black Panther, uh, Billy Graham is not thanked in the credits of either the 2016 Luke Cage Netflix series or the 2018 Black Panther film. Oh, no. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's um, a bummer. Yeah. Um, he also does not have a creator credit for Luke Cage, uh, who was officially created by Archie Goodwin, George Tuska, Roy Thomas, and John Ramita Sr. So. Hmm. Boo. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's not great. Um, uh, Rob, would you like to uh, to tell us a little bit about uh, how the process of creating Luke Cage worked? Sure, yeah. Um, so according to Roy Thomas, in 1971, when the success of the movie Shaft had reached an interracial audience, Stan Lee decided... It was time to go beyond Black Panther and Captain America's partner, the Falcon, as a support character. I think he briefly toyed with the notion of a Falcon comic book, but probably felt the Falcon was better off where he was and that he was perhaps not as strong a character as was needed. Which I find that's fascinating that that was like Stan's assessment. I was like, Hmm. this guy's not ready for prime time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's a a, Lila would agree or like Layla. Yeah. Layla. Yeah. Yeah. And also that Stan is like, we need more black superheroes. Like, yeah, this is, this is what people want. And it's like, we got to give the people what they want. I do. I I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Me too. Uh, He, he went on, Roy went on to say when he mentioned that he wanted to work up a new African-American superhero who would be a bit different and would start right out in his own comic. He asked me for my suggestion as to the writer. Uh, and Roy said, I didn't feel I should do the character myself. So Good I su- impulse. suggested <laughs> Archie Goodwin, although Jerry Conway, Len Wein and others must have crossed my and Stan's mind. Uh, Archie, Stan and I, with John Romita perhaps present, spent a half hour or so in deliberations with within the next day or so. And each of us contributed something to the mix. Stans was definitely the guiding hand because he knew he wanted a superhero who was off the beaten track, off to make a living at crime fighting, a la a private eye, and with a different look or feel than a typical superhero, even a Marvel one. Uh, 
Romita helped provide that, of course, with the outfit that was perfectly suited to the 1970s, including the chains. <laughs> um, Stan was looking for a name for the character, and I suggested Cage, which later I realized I'd seen some time before on a list of potential character names Gil Kane had shown me and had consciously Ooh. forgotten about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Archie would add the Luke when he did the script later. Stan wanted an untypical name for the mag, too. Not a usual superhero name, but something indicating that uh, what he was. Huh. I didn't uh, think about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that, Royce, that's the hero. Yeah, that's where we get this this added piece. And Oh, whoa. Yeah, that didn't even occur to me. That the title of the book is his not superhero name, it's his real name. And that he doesn't really have a superhero name for a while. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's and it's Captain not, America is not called Steve Rogers. Yeah. I wouldn't buy that book. It's uh, <laughs> Tony Stark, boy billionaire. Um <laughs> But, During uh, the Richie Rich era, that probably would have done really well. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, the, so Roy said, I'd recently written an Avengers issue titled Heroes for Hire. So I suggested Hero for Hire as the title. As for powers, I suggested he be very strong and bulletproof, though bullets could cause him some discomfort by raising temporary welts on his skin, etc. Um, Philip Wiley's Gladiator was my main inspiration here, though Stan and I agreed that we didn't want him to have... Hugo Danner's leaping abilities, which had been borrowed by Superman years before. Archie, I believe, came up with the precise escaped innocent prisoner concept, though Stan probably contributed to that as well. And out of that committee of three, four counting John's concept sketch was Luke Cage, hero for hire born. Yeah, I. that's a really fascinating kind of look behind the curtain of how the process worked at Marvel at the time. Um, I mean, I assume that was the way that they did. They made most decisions about, you know, new books or, you know, um, when it came to, you know, time to, to launch something or, you know, th- there was this kind of collaboration committee approach, yeah. um, you know, stand with throughout his vision for it. And then everyone would kind of, yeah, you know, I'm pitch sure ideas it's like Stan's him. like, we need more magic stuff. Magic's a big thing. And then they're all, <laughs> they all start talking like this, a similar thing. You know, it's, this yeah. is the trend. Huh. And again, this is where it hits the exploitation idea. Mm-hmm. It's a trend that's happening and they're trying to figure out how to meet that trend and yep. what's the best way to do it. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Man, that's not how I pictured it happening. That's like <laughs> more of like a, uh, like a, like a Beatles thing where one of them comes in and is like, oh, I, I was watching TV last night and I had this crazy idea and then I had a dream about yeah. it and it goes something, little, something like this. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. That's how music works, right? Yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. Yesterday. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, rarely. But, uh, so, and, and now I think, I mean, the only thing left to do is talk about the actual issue, everyone. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think we have literally talked about everything else except <laughs> Luke Cage for Hero for Hire number one. I think we've set it up. Yeah. Pretty nicely. You, you can almost hear the typing of the letters we're going to get, right? Like you, it's just like a steady <laughs> background hum of just all the typing. Stick to comics. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I'll take us through uh, Luke Cage, Hero for Hire, number one. Uh, Out of Hell, a hero. Uh, Great this is title. Written- yeah, from the seriously. Jump. I love that. Yeah. Uh, this is written by Archie Goodwin and Roy Thomas, art by George Tusca, Billy Graham, and John Romita. Uh, so, look, even before we start, something is immediately different. <laughs> the cover is crazy intense. Uh, Luke's in the forefront. He's looking angry. There's a red-tinted background, and we see the world in, like, marquee light bulbs, like, bar and girls with, like, 
there's dice and cards and a picture of a woman smoking and like a cop being restrained by another cop above a body. Um, Obviously in a prison, like with bars. Yeah, yeah right, right. Cast through, yeah, like uh, it all looks very noir. There's like, some gambling yeah. happening. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's super vice. Uh, and, and like it doesn't scream for kids except that like a kid would be like, what is that? You know, like <laughs> <laughs> this is salacious. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so we get an opening splash page and it is sort of equally a visual assault. Uh, you get out of hell, a hero uh, written on red text with a yellow background over the image of Lucas in the center screaming kind of like to towards the direction of the camera. He's wearing a gigantic chain for a belt. It's on a red background. It's like mm-hmm. an anchor for a giant ship. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's huge. like a battleship chain. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. You feel like it would be very heavy. Yeah. yeah. And there was uh, there was something that I read about uh, John Romita talks about the the creation of the visuals for Cage and like he he just flat out says it's like yeah we wanted to have the chain thing in there to uh, to uh, basically reference slavery like, yeah totally it's got totally. a broken yeah. link yeah. edge hanging down too so it's like a chain that's he owns that's broken mm-hmm. yeah yeah literally between the cover and this first spl- splash splash page. We're, we're speaking or we're absorbing a different visual language than what we're accustomed to with, I, I would say, almost everything else. Very much mm-hmm. so. Yep. Yeah. Um, he's described as a superhero unlike any before him. So then we kick the story off. This is a year ago in Seagate Prison or Little Alcatraz or Hell. Uh, Lucas is being freed from solitary confinement by uh, one reasonable guard and one like you quickly identify him as the sadistic racist racist guard. Yeah. He's named uh, Quirt and he hates Lucas. The first image of Lucas that we see in the story is him emerging from a cage into a prison, coming out of the shadows with his hands over his head. Like, yeah. Like speaking of visual language, like none of this is superhero-y. Like we're just night and day away from everything else we've, we've seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Have so- we even seen a Marvel hero locked up anywhere yeah, like even for a moment like not by a supervillain but i mean like we, we've seen them be like you know falsely accused of crimes and things like that but like yeah has spidey ever gone to jail i feel like he's no. been in he's been in like the prison hospital but yeah. he, he's never actually been like behind bars i mean maybe the hulk but uh, the, it, yeah it's not really a comparable yeah he's like pretty much in jail right out <laughs> like <laughs> issue number one <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So this is this is very different. Uh, in the courtyard, uh, inmates Shades and Comanche. Is that how you say it? Comanche? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Um, they're recruiting for a demonstration uh, that Lucas wants no part of. They say he maybe needs surgery to cut away the tom from his soul. Uh, so Lucas punches him in the face. Uh, he <laughs> declares himself a lone wolf and just storms off. Which is also a, just all of this. Everything happening is like. Totally new language to what how a story in a Marvel comic works. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the other things we read, you could swap Daredevil and Spider-Man in almost any situation and have virtually the same comic. Sure. Yeah. And like, I mean, that's an extreme example, but a lot of them, you could swap in Captain America for Iron Man and like, it wouldn't be that crazy different. Like their mm-hmm. characters aren't so far off. Yeah. This is just totally, totally different. Yes. Yeah. So Captain Rackham and Quirt, they watch this go down. They say, eh, it's some bad guy stuff. They call Lucas into the room. And Captain uh, Rackham is the warden, right? Or no? Yeah, he's... Uh, no. Ca- uh, 
I, I think no, he's he just, is the he's, he's the he's current like the, warden. He's the temporary warden. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, okay. He's like running the place well. The the new warden until he's until he's installed. Yeah, yeah. So Rackham tells uh, Lucas that that was, that was an ugly business in the yard. There's a new warden coming. Uh, he says all this while smoking a cigar and just looking really ugly. Yeah. Uh, I'd say all the white people look pretty ugly so far in this. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe I mean, throughout. everyone, everyone is wearing the face they deserve. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Right. They have, yeah, but, they have monstrous expressions. They, uh, they all for the most part look like villains. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They yeah. Look like even Kirby villains, like exaggerated they, faces. They look like, like Graham, uh, Graham Ingalls, like, Tales from the Crypt, uh, like the guy who's going to get his comeuppance on page eight. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And, and also, you know, talking about visuals, uh, Luke Cage is just walking around with his shirt completely open, like just, you know, badass and yeah. You know, yeah. Sleeves yeah. rolled he's, up. Yeah. He's yeah. just ready for action. And like he's, uh, th- his dress and his posture throughout every scene is complete confidence. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He's not questioning any of his own uh, intentions or beliefs. Like he's he's going to do what he's going to do. And, yep. and we yeah. Got everything he says too is yeah. the same. Yeah. yeah. And and whatever consequences come his way, that's just going to be. It'll, he's not going to compromise. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yep. So the captain pitches a, a mutually beneficial idea that Lucas could sort of be a rat for him, um, and that would make both him, uh, they would make both of them look good to the new warden who's coming in. Oh, it seems like a you know mutually beneficial situation. Lucas throws the idea right back in his face, and he's sent immediately back to the hole. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the captain tells uh, Quirt to, to he says, uh, "Break that punk any way it takes." So then Quirt savagely beats Lucas under some like brutal narration. Yeah, uh, it's so bad that the other guards eventually come in to put a stop to the beating. Yeah, and the other prisoners hear it. They they describe the sound of the beating, and it yeah. is just that is like a an Archie Goodwin you know touch that is, it says the ugly sound echoes through the cell block a flat moist sound of flesh being struck again and again a sound to drive all listening into a frenzy so all the other prisoners are just screaming like stop it yeah and, and we get yeah. we get an anguish an anguish of heads yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a, a Spider Man anguish of heads yeah. Mm-hmm. So while this is happening, Stuart, the new warden, he's he's hearing all the noise, uh, and he comes in. He drags Quirt away. Stuart, him up. Stuart's a very handsome man. Very he is. very put together, yep. strong jaw, good hairline. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You could see Anson Mount maybe playing him. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so this guy, he uh, yeah, he, he drags Quirt away. He fires him on the spot. He and he he cradles Lucas's swollen head. I thought that was sort of noteworthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he also locks up Quirt with Lucas for a few minutes. Yeah. At which point, at the, this is oh, this is so crazy. Lucas beats him up as people nearby enjoy the noises of the beating. Yeah, yeah. the The total opposite of the scene that just played. Like, and this warden's like, leave that door shut for ten minutes. Yeah, ten minutes. Do what yeah. you need to do. Ten uh, minutes in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is a hugely compelling character moment. Yeah, because. He's not wrong. He's definitely right, but he's also not taking the traditionally heroic high road. Not at all. No. Name, there's no other comic book we've read where anyone would do this. Also, before the comics code changed in 1971, you couldn't have even done this scene because oh, you could yeah. never show 
uh, people in positions of authority, you know, abusing their authority or, you know, being treated like this. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't even think of that. And it's like, it's really set up like this is a book that could only have come out now, not only because, you know, the exploitation movement in cinema is coming up, but like, I mean, you could not have gotten this on the stands. Um, you couldn't have had your hero just beating the shit out of a prison guard, you know, right. who like, deserved it, who deserved yeah. it. Yeah. And with no explanation why he's in prison too. So your hero is already just in prison. Right. Yeah. yeah. So we, we have no idea why huh. for these first seven, eight pages, you know, uh, it's yeah. just, we, and we can't read this without context. Like we, we automatically know the modern, we know who Luke Cage is yeah. yeah. and we can't pretend that we don't. So we know he's in here for less than, perfect reasons right Right. but at the time if you're reading this you don't know that necessarily and you wouldn't even necessarily assume it yeah i don't think maybe yeah i think you would just assume he's a prisoner he seems to be pretty cool he's a super cool prisoner (laughs) (laughs) And, and have and have some standards but it's not clear why or what for yeah yeah right right so the new warden comes in behind the captain uh and the captain's smoking and drinking with his feet up on the desk uh, the new warden scolds him, and the the old captain internally he blames Lucas for this. Mm-hmm. So then a doctor visits Lucas. He admires how quickly his wounds are healing, and he indicates that he's looking for a quote unique breed of man, and that they might soon be working together. The doc notes that Lucas's time in prison has been filled with brawls, attempted escapes, violence at a parole board hearing, and a lot of claims that he's been framed. So he asks Lucas for his backstory, which we then get. Uh, back in Harlem, Lucas used to run with a guy named Willis Stryker. Uh, they were closer than brothers, and they did a bunch of crimes together. Eventually, they each rode to leadership spots in gangs, I think in the same gangs, mm-hmm. uh, with Willis being really good with blades and Lucas being unstoppable in a fist fight. But then Lucas starts to kind of get tired of it all. Willis takes over running rackets and gamblings and such, and Lucas doesn't really want any part of that stuff. Then Willis starts dating. Well, they both kind of notice a lady, uh, but Willis starts. He ends up with her, and uh, her name's uh, Reva. 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 Mm-hmm. Reva. So then a warring syndicate attacks Willis, and Reva runs to Lucas to get help. Lucas takes on the whole gang. He just crushes all of them. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, but Willis ends up in the hospital. So then Reva breaks up with Willis. Willis blames Lucas for this, and they have a huge, ugly falling out. Meanwhile, oh, and then after that, Lucas and Reva sort of get together, and eventually they start making plans to get married. But then one day, Lucas comes home to find cops already in his apartment where they found narcotics, which, like, it's sort of safe to assume that they've been planted there by Willis. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, he's he's waiting outside of Lucas's apartment in a car, um, just like... He's waiting for it to go down. <laughs> yeah, right. you know? yeah, I made yeah. it sound like it was hard to figure out what, what it happened. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's very, very clear. <laughs> I think you're missing some subtle context clues. <laughs> There's no <laughs> mystery in the way the story is being told to right, us. Right. But yeah. Let's be clear. Um so then while uh so he gets locked up. Lu- Lucas gets locked up for this. Uh but he gets word that Willis is sort of uh, wooing Reva, and then but then ultimately ends up getting her killed when the rival syndicate strikes back at him. Yeah. Basically using her as a human shield. Yeah. 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 Oh, right. Right. So then Lucas, he's now living for a time when he can get out and get his revenge. Yeah. Which 
again, is the opposite of classic Marvel superhero stuff. This is like anti-hero yeah. at best. Well, I yeah. Mean, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, is like at the beginning of the story, like, OK, he's in jail. You know, maybe he's guilty. Maybe he's not. But it's like then he tells his backstory. He's like, oh, no, like I ran with gangs and did crimes. Yeah. And I did not get punished for the crimes that I did. <laughs> right, yeah, I was right. good at doing crimes. And then yeah. I stopped and yeah. then I got framed for a crime I did not commit. Yeah. And then my fiance got killed. And now I just want to get out for revenge for another crime like <laughs> right, right. according to royal crime awesome yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh i think it's worth mentioning that i as far as i my understanding of this word uh this is a classic case of fridging uh of a woman who has said oh, yeah. maybe maybe 10 sentences uh 25 of them being calls for help yeah yeah reva is there as a as this motivation for revenge yeah, yeah so mm-hmm. exactly yeah. fridging yeah but i mean for the era and especially you know in the genre that we're talking about like yeah, i mean that that is one of the things that like kind of comes up again and again in like you know black exploitation movies and you know as i've you know read david walker's book he's like yeah women don't get treated very well at all in these movies you know there's not a lot of agency there um they're often plot objects um or you know sexual conquests or whatever mm-hmm. so you know i mean Take it for what it is, you know? Yep, yep. Yep. So then back at the present, the doc tells Lucas that his project, if if Lucas will be a part of it, uh, could get him released. And it could also benefit all of mankind. But there, there's risk. There's risk to his safety. Lucas turns him down because he doesn't want to die from some crazy experiment. But more importantly, he doesn't feel like he owes mankind anything because mankind has, hasn't ever done anything for him. Yeah. Yeah. The thing, two things about that. Yeah, First, yeah. I mean, echoes of Tuskegee, like all the way through this thing, you know, the mm-hmm. experimentation. Totally. That, you know, like, uh, yeah, of course, he's going to be incredibly skeptical about this white doctor who wants to stick him with needles and try out these untested procedures on him. Second thing is, this is basically the exact opposite of the Captain America origin. Oh, yeah. oh man. Oh, man. Yeah. So uh, I, I'll i see that and raise that. Okay. Um. <laughs> Spider-Man. Mm. Uh, this is Spider-Man not stopping the the, the boxer or the, the fighter. Yeah. Uh, when he comes out of the thing and and yeah. Um, but then so <laughs> the now demoted guard uh, to, or demoted to regular guard Rackham he visits Lucas he threatens him this enrages Lucas into agreeing to the experiment. But then I I feel like what happens here is a distorted mirror of the Steve Rogers origin. Mm-hmm. So he's brought underground to a scientist lab created by Stark Industries. Uh, there's something about cell regeneration. Um, uh, yeah, electrobiochemical system. I'm you know, yeah, that, that whole thing. Uh, under a prison, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, it looks uh, like Dr. Frankenstein's laboratory. It absolutely does. And yeah. actually, that one panel looks like it was drawn by somebody else. Yeah, well, it, it looks, yeah, it, it, it looks, again, like very EC Comics-y. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Oh, I thought this is uh, I thought this is worth interesting. So uh, Lucas has agreed to this. But when the doc wants to give him a shot to, like, infect him with something, um, we see Lucas's naked black figure on the floor trying to hold back a clothed white man standing above him with a needle. Yeah, it's a really weird panel. Yep. Compared to everything else in this in this comic. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that he's necessarily on the floor, but he's definitely, you know, like 
He's crouched for he is sure. Crouched yeah. and defensive posture. Yeah. We're seeing him in a yeah, in a very defensive posture. Yeah. Yeah, and like I it's fuzzy. I feel like there's film studies stuff about like naked black guys in cinema in situations I I can't take that thought any further. Yeah, than a that, vulnerable but. situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but anyway, the doc talks him into it. So Lucas gets into the tank. Uh, as the process begins, Rackham shows up. He cranks up some dials. He's going to try to murder Lucas with this machine. But then the machine overloads and explodes. Yeah, because Rackham had to step away for a minute and that to check some sensors. And that was when, uh, when the, I already forgot the guy's name. Rackham? No, Rackham is the bad guy. Rackham, not Rackham. The doctor steps away for a minute. Yeah. Rackham sneaks in. I don't think the doctor has a name. I think he's nameless. I don't know. I thought he had a name, but I don't know. Doc. Yeah. Doc. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought the warden said like he said his name the very beginning. Um Oh yeah. It's not Wesley. I wanted it to be Wesley. It's something like that. <laughs> uh I don't know. But it, the but anyways, he steps away for a second and that's when Rackham takes advantage of that to come in and just sort of turn the dial up to 11. So com- help me out with the origin of Captain America getting into the machine. Something. Yep. What what happens there? Uh, he gets uh, he gets strapped into the machine. He gets an injection, and then he gets bombarded with Vita rays. And then, as uh, that is happening, and as that's happening, the Nazi saboteur kills um, that doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, um, who looks exactly like Einstein. Yeah. <laughs> and I think in like originally, I think he's called something like Reinstein. But, yeah, yeah. Or Eisenstein. Uh, or, yeah. Yeah. So it um, is pretty similar. It is very similar. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, but they, they don't tamper with the process. They just kill the doctor so that he can't. Erksine, um, Dr. Yeah, Erksine. Nice. Yeah. Well done. They, uh, they just, uh, so he's the the thing can't be repeated, but the process goes okay. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. This is a little different because the process becomes torture because of this racist, you know, uh, captain at the or you know temporary warden guy, and and then proceeds uh, in a different way. <laughs> I do love right. the fact that like Luke Cage is basically powered up by racism. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It's right. like oh, that's great. <laughs> It just boomerangs <laughs> back on this guy. <laughs> yep. So the machine explodes. Uh, the still naked Lucas sort of punches his way out of this. It's a really cool. It actually looks uh, 20 years ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like magenta colored and he, he's just like nude and super 90s muscly and fist, fists everywhere and metal flying. It's very cool looking. You you can tell. I, I think I, I mentioned that uh, Billy Graham, one of his influences was uh, Bern Hogarth, who did the old Tarzan things, did a bunch of books. Um, if you've ever like studied drawing anatomy, um, uh, Hogarth did like a series of anatomy books uh, in the 80s, um, which became like required reading. Uh, but it's like this is like overly rendered yeah, you know, precise musculature like this is straight out of the Burn Hogarth playbook. Yeah, it is. It is like every muscle. And then as we get into a couple panels further, also the way his skin looks is noticeably different. So once we're out of that sort of flash color, uh, you know, the the red on magenta, it's mm-hmm. you can see like 
they're they the way his skin is colored is different so you're like something's different and he's uh he's already noticing that so there's just like more weird shading and texture to uh what he looks like Mm -hmm. moving forward for a little bit here yeah Yeah, very dynamic i I, I, i'll have to do some research because i i find (laughs) i find his nudity fascinating it it just was like (laughs) well even more than he's a good looking man yeah Um, it just was like it it was so explicitly called out and then they maintain it for like uh, more pages than you might expect. This right. is definitely the most nude anyone has been in a Marvel comic yeah. up until this right. point. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and it's also uh, there's also I mean, obviously, we said Frankenstein before, but mm-hmm. there's the like a lot of this stuff is so easy in that way, too. Like, yeah. he's he's the the experiment happens. He's enraged. Yep. He's. uh and so now it's gone askew from Captain America even further and more towards Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah right, he's like right. somewhere between Captain America and the Hulk. Yeah, yeah, right, right. At least in this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Rackham accuses Lucas of trying to escape, which is hilarious uh, because he is just the victim of a, a science experiment and B tampering of that science experiment. Right. <laughs> uh, more torture from Rackham, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. directly. Yeah. So Rackham, of course, threatens to shoot him. So Lucas very clearly open-handed slaps him. Yep. And as we all know, an open-handed slap can never be cause for drama or controversy. Uh, the slap. I've got some hot takes to share. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We'll circle back to this one. I will soapbox all day. I'm going to take all the pins that you're going to put into anything here. (laughs) Taking your pins away. Yeah. Oh, we're going to get letters. So, so, uh, the slap almost kills Rackham and there it's clear. This would be blamed on Lucas. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lucas in frustration punches a wall, which breaks and he realizes his skin is now hard like steel. He fears the repercussions of Rackham's potential death, so he punches through the brick wall entirely. He escapes the prison. Uh, he escapes the prison, and the prison sounds an alarm. At this point, he is repeatedly shot by a prison guard and falls over a cliff into the water. Then I thought this was noteworthy too. Uh, the guards then, to to themselves, Lucas is not around. They justify uh, the shooting of him by saying that he was holding a rock. Yeah. And I thought the, it was a gun. Yeah. yeah. One of them says. So then they go to investigate. They don't find his body, but they do find his shirt with, I, I, I counted 10 bullet holes in it. Yep. Which seems like a lot. That's pretty good restraint. <laughs> and if you, when they show the welts on him. Yeah. There's more than 10. There's oh, way yeah. more than yeah. 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which like, so at first I counted the impact scene and it looks like only three or maybe four. And then the shirt has about 10 and then his body has like a whole bunch. Yeah. Right. And he's wondering how it's probably uh, shot in the front and the back. back, Yeah. yeah, I was, yeah, I was wondering how intentional that was. It certainly resonates a little bit differently in the, after the past couple of years than it probably did Mm -hmm. then. Well, and I think, I mean, I think depending on, you know, who's reading this, I think it resonated that way 50 years ago too. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. You're right. Oh man. Yeah. So then over a series of months, Lucas heads north and tries to start fresh, but he has no identity because he's an escaped convict. Uh, There's a cool quote here. Uh, He's a man set forever apart by others by a fantastic chemistry gone berserk, a man sustained solely by a driving need for revenge. 
Eventually, he returns to New York City, where he's like immediately shot by a white guy robbing a diner. Lucas again. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, classic New York. Uh, Lucas slaps this guy unconscious. Yeah, baby. Just, well, here's your tip. Just like a backhand. <laughs> yeah. Again, starting to show his strength, too. He's just yeah. like, he just backhands the guy and he is knocked out. Yeah. Yeah. You get the sense that maybe you could fill in the gaps of his journey up north with like some interesting stories as he's mm-hmm. like come to terms with his strength and invulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so uh, he, he knocks this guy out. The diner owner is very grateful. He gives him some kind of reward. He calls him a superhero, which gives Lucas an idea. So he heads to a, a costume shop. He then visits uh, Rhea's grave to declare his new name is Luke Cage and his intention to get revenge on Willis. Um, uh, man, I want to say this. I'm going to say it. I think there's like a thing here with uh, like like slave names and having a different um oh yeah right mm-hmm. the, like uh having to create a new identity post uh slavery slash incarceration like i feel like there's something to that yeah like um, a, like once, a, a once you're free yeah you you take a new name a um, new identity yeah yeah i mean that's frederick Douglass did that you know like mm-hmm. everybody who who I mean, not everybody, but some people kept kept the names of the families that they were slaves to. But this is a other people had to cut those ties in order to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah make a there's, there's certainly a tradition of it. And I mean, I have enough confidence in Archie Goodwin that he's aware of that tradition. Yeah. And, and it's it, probably I mean, playing off, of especially it. Yeah. if you're uh, on the run, mm-hmm. you know, like if it, this was a, a time before uh, emancipation or something. Right. Yeah. You know, that was mm-hmm. when. You could get to the north, but you still there were still people looking for you. Right. So right. you had to have an assumed identity, so they couldn't capture you and bring you back. There were yeah. Did you notice that on page twenty, bottom panel, uh, when it, it's the montage of him, uh, you know, making his escape? It says, "And here begins long months of working his way north." Oh, oh yeah. I mean, like, that's, yeah. that can't be accidental, right? I mean, right. yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah, do like it, the, that registered for me, but in like the wrong way. Cause I was like, well, he was in Harlem and then he's been in prison. Why would he be anywhere other than in the tri-state area? Like, why is he heading North? I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. That's what yeah. they showed like a flamingo. Yeah. In front of the prison at the very beginning on Seagate. Oh um, really? Oh, whoa. Yeah. So there, there's like little hints and, um, I do like the way he said, uh, even had to get a new name, kept a little of the old one. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I the rest is what panel. I remember most about prison, which yeah. is cage. Yeah. Just a really, a really nice touch. And like, and it would be, that would be a very different scene if his, he was like, now I'm steel guy or Steelo or like, it's not a super <laughs> Steelo <laughs> <Yeah>. or even <laughs> power man. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, although Marvel call me for Steelo. I got some ideas. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, he's not taking on a superhero identity. Like that's a name. That's like a regular name. It just yep. it, it's just a new identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so meanwhile, uh, a crime a, a crime guy reports to his boss, his crime boss guy, that uh, some of the collection men have been getting beaten up lately, and that the onlookers were given business cards from uh, <laughs> a hero for hire, Luke Cage, which is mint. It's so <laughs> mint. That's yeah. a ballsy thing to do. Yep. 
So then that boss turns out to be a knife throwing guy who then turns out to be Willis Stryker now going by the name Diamondback and wearing like a snakeskin jacket, like a yeah. whole outfit, like pants and pants and jacket look like they're all snakeskin. Yeah. 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 He's got a whole look going. Uh, he demands it's like, a, it's like a snakeskin tracksuit. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can safely say I've never seen that before or since. Yeah. I'm thinking I could, I think I could pull that off. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so he demands Cage be brought to him because he's got some teaching to do. And meanwhile, Luke walks the streets thinking of Riva and thinking of revenge. In the in, in the last chunk of this comic, we hear the word revenge like over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. And the next you, story you can, is vengeance is mine. Vengeance is yeah, mine. I mean, yeah. you can hear the James Brown song playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The big payback. The big yeah. payback. Man. Yeah. So there's so much stuff in this issue that is not typical of what Marvel has tried to do with their heroes. Like Stan wanted uh, an off the beaten path superhero. He wanted something fresh and new and he absolutely got it. Like all the stuff that we, you know, we've talked through with, you know, Cage being like a guy with uh, a pretty checkered past, um, a, a guy who, uh, you know, he he is willing to you know, take the law into his own hands, which of course, like every vigilante superhero does. But it's like he just says the quiet parts loud. Yeah, um, you know, like uh, all that. Um, and he mean he means it. Like that's yeah. Like Matt Murdock has some weird thing where he loves the law, but he also loves breaking it every single day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. Uh, there's no hypocrisy. There's in no hypocrisy. Luke Cage. He's just he is what he is, and he's just he's willing to accept all the consequences that come his way. But he's also confident that nothing's going to stop him. Um, it's yeah. a really appealing mix of qualities. Yeah, and uh, I mean that is uh, the core of the character, and it always has been. He's yeah. just uh, without compromise. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. I mean, this was great. All all of this was great, and and it. I thought of the show a bunch and I thought of Bendis's uh, what do you, like renaissance with this character and what, yep. what he did with it. And it just, it's so good. Yeah. You know, the only other thing I thought about a lot was Hobie Brown. Like mm-hmm. when Hobie shows up in Spider-Man, he's a window washer. Who's also like an amazing inventor. Yep. And he's mm-hmm. trying to tell his boss, I've got a way to do this job in seconds flat. And the boss is like, you know, just based on race shut up get back to work yeah right it's based on race so bad that j jonah jameson calls the guy uh, out for being racist yeah uh and it that and that character becomes quickly and sort of accidentally but a villain because mm-hmm. he's trying to stage a, a robbery so that he can be a hero and and yeah. bring back the goods yeah uh but spider-man runs into this so it, and but but Peter Parker understands that this is a misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. But that character, that path is also somewhat representative of, of you know, coming from an overclass and race, uh, definitely racism, but nothing like so far uh, representative, you know, so far down that path yeah. that, that we just meet Luke Cage. Yeah. Right. You right. know, we meet him after the 
you know, just things shake. They don't, they don't go your way. So mm-hmm. you do what you need to do to survive. Yeah. And so I did crime and now I'm in jail. Yep. And, but I'm in jail for a crime I didn't do. And I went out to do another one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. But a justified one. Right. And yeah. all of it makes sense. Like yep. that, that's the, the cool part is to any reader, you can, you, uh, hopefully you can relate mm. to the idea of you've been framed. Yeah. You've been wronged. Yeah. Maybe you haven't been always on the side of the law. Right. Right. Uh, and now you've got power and you want revenge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's so funny to me that like Wolverine is sort of held up as like the first anti-hero in <laughs> yeah. Marvel, but it's like, it's cage. Like cage is the first anti-hero. Yeah. Yeah. Well, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. I'll take that for sure. <laughs> yep. So, yeah. So, what do, you think? Do, do, do you think that we are, uh, are we on the scale of uh, lib beta cuck uh, to, <laughs> to n- too much uh, to not enough lib beta cuck? Where do you think mm. we're like, I, I feel like. Yeah, As I usual, I, I think we just split the uprights perfectly. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't change a thing about what we do. Probably won't get any notes from anybody else. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Great. Great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as long as we stuck the landing. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. we can only be who we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, and again, <laughs> better there, or worse. with black like exploitation, we've already got a fridged female character. Yep. We've already, yeah. right. you know, there's already plenty of things that don't, that don't hold up super well by our, by our supposedly liberal progressive standard. Yeah. Um, but it's still, it's just such a cool, compelling character. Yeah. Yeah. Like, absolutely. It's great. I'm super excited to see where this goes. Um, and we get to I read, read this th- monthly from now on, right? Like this is like yeah. in the rotation. It's a monthly comic. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Yep. It, it's a uh, hero for hire for 16 issues and it's power man for, I don't know, till like issue 50 or something. And then it's uh, Power Man and Iron Fist. Danny Rand. So, yep. Wow. It's going to be fun to read this back to back with like Submariner. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> like, I kind of feel like it's going to make everything feel like dated immediately. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah. but I, I'm Until also. Until we get to Danny Rand. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens when we get there. I'm excited for this whole run now. Yeah, yeah. To yeah, watch too. this arc Absolutely. and get to that. I'm also excited. Yeah. This, I, I'm excited to see like what effect this has on the rest of the line. Like, you know, everyone is paying attention to this now. So it's like, are you going to be able to get away with telling the same old Captain America stories or the same old Submariner stories? Or are you going to have to level up you know, raise your game yeah you um, can't just go on a quest for a trident anymore namor <laughs> wake up <laughs> look at yeah. you yeah. i mean this guy. this this does feel like a watershed moment i mean in the same way that like the kree scroll war and you know other like big moments from this season have felt like watershed moments like it, it feels like you can't do the same thing after luke cage makes the scene yeah, um, and I feel like we are going to see some of that almost i mean not exactly but we, we're going to see some things shake up even next episode sure yeah yeah i mean things start to change but nothing like this yeah yeah this is just for sure yeah huge well uh that's all we got um i hope we did a good job um (laughs) if we didn't i'm sure we'll hear about it please Uh, be nice to us we're just trying and and again (laughs) we're we're going to talk about this character a lot we're going to get some other perspectives and viewpoints and uh we're going to hear more uh, people, people that aren't a bunch of middle-aged white guys talking about <laughs> Luke Cage, which is, you know, 
Uh, we talk about a lot of stuff. We're talking about Marvel Comics. So when they come up, that's what we do. But yep. we do try to bring in other voices when we can. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Hey, if you wanted to hear more of this episode, um, and hear more of us fumble awkwardly for the right things to say, <laughs> uh, you can subscribe to our Patreon for the fantastic price of four bucks a month at patreon.com slash Marvel by the month and get exclusive content. Um, you can review us on Apple podcast or whatever you use to listen to us. If you'd like some free stuff in the mail, send us a screenshot of your five-star review to Marvel by the month at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at Marvel by the Month, and MarvelByTheMonth.com has links to our other social channels as well as our shop. That is all for now. My name is Brian Stratton. Mine is Rob Milne. I'm Jamie Winger. We'll see you next week for our Season 7 finale. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay inside and read comics. <laughs>